0: Revelation Ancient Prophecy. This series is a detailed, in depth study of the book of Revelation. You will discover just how relevant to our day the prophecies of Revelation really are. Here is your presenter, Pastor Baron Neustraten. Well, good evening, and it's wonderful to be here again. And uh, thank you for uh, joining me in this particular study of the book of Revelation. Again, uh, it's a magnificent book, and I, I, I trust that you can see the the tremendous provision that God has made for us throughout the ages. And uh, we can have full confidence in today for that reason as well. Could I invite you just to uh, bow our heads and uh, we'll ask the Lord to bless us in this particular study here tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can be here again and that we have the freedom and the opportunity... Uh, to explore the wonderful gift that you have given us, the Bible. We thank you for your uh, disclosure of the the history and particularly the coming history imminently before us, that we need not guess where we are in the point of time, but that we can clearly see that Jesus is coming soon. So bless us now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We now are dealing are going to deal tonight with the seven trumpets. Now the seven trumpets you have to understand is basically the third outline of the world history. Again as it was as you recall with the seven churches as it was with the seven seals which we dealt with over the last few weeks and we are now into the seven trumpets. And uh, the trumpets has a particular meaning, by the way. The meaning of the trumpets, the meaning of the trumpets is that it is an announcement. It is an announcement of a judgment, if you like. Now, you recall maybe that in the Jewish, um, uh, what shall I say, religious calendar, the first day of the seventh month, that's when the Feast of Trumpets started. Uh, which was a holy convocation, and uh, that uh, was the announcement of the judgment that was to come, which we know as the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And uh, so we have here uh, the trumpets, which really mean judgments. If you can remember that, that would be great. You remember that under the fifth seal there was a particular question that was put by yeah, the martyrs of all the ages. Now, these martyrs, these martyrs uh, put a question. They cried with a loud voice. Now, this is in symbolic terms. You understand that. They cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, you've got to understand, you've got to understand that those who dwell on the earth are the opponents to God's people they have been persecuting them mistreating them and, and, and really killing them so many martyrs uh, throughout the ages of course uh, of those and they are it's, it's like their lives that are that were wasted uh, destroyed are, are calling out for justice and so that's the question which by the way we are going to answer and look at tonight Because that is what the trumpets are really all about. You also recall from the seventh chapter that uh, there were four angels holding back the winds of strife. And there was another angel that came out, sent by God, with the seal of the living God, as you will see. Who advises those angels that are symbolically, of course, Uh, in the four corners. It means all over the world, holding back, controlling the strife. And he's saying to them, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed, now notice, the servants of our God. The ones that are going to be sealed are those right at the end time. You can understand. This is right at the end time. And right at the end time, those who are being sealed are the servants of God. They work for God. And so and so the seven last plagues which are noted here will be a major issue right there before Jesus returns, because the seven last plagues are really going to fall on those who oppose God's people and therefore God Himself. And so we certainly will come back to that. And the seal is to be placed on the forehead. The significance of the seal is the forehead. Now the sixth seal. for the great day of his wrath has come. you, you might recall that. we dealt with that last week. And who is able to be saved? You know, we have these phenomenal occurrences in the physical world we have that massive earthquake the greatest earthquake on history 1755 the lisbon earthquake then we have then we have uh, some 25 years later we have the darkening of the sun 1780 with the consequence few nights of the, blood, uh, the the blood redness of the moon Then we have in 1833, we have the incredible meteorite showers in a proportion that we have never seen before or since. And so the falling of the stars from heaven, predicted by the Bible in the right order. It's important to note that. Now the interesting thing is, the last bit that's going to happen, the last cosmic reality will be the... The the, the heavens rolling up like a scroll, and that clearly is when Jesus returns. And when that occurs, with all of the cataclysmic events that are accompanying this uh, particular event, those who are afraid say this: "Who is able to stand?" And the answer. To that question was dealt with last week. Because those who are sealed uh, with the seal of the living God, as we get it in chapter 7, will be saved. Now, we talked about that. We talked about the sealed of Israel, the 144,000. And we discovered that this is not a literal number. This is symbolic, highly symbolic. Because we are talking about an end time people. We're talking about spiritual Israel. Most definitely we talk about spiritual Israel. Uh, They were sealed on their foreheads. The forehead means an intellectual and spiritual understanding of the plan of salvation and particularly God's will. They were sealed on their forehead by the seal of the living God. That's chapter 7. Now in chapter 14 where they were noted again, in chapter 14 uh, it says... His Father's name on their foreheads. You have an equation here that the seal of God, of the living God, is the Father's name. And another word for name, again, is character. So there's a complete harmony. There's a complete uh, submission and, 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 what shall I say, protection by being hidden in the beloved. That is Jesus himself who guarantees our salvation. So his father's name written on their foreheads. It's a beautiful expression, a beautiful equation here. Also, we answered that question of the 144,000 because they are God's people, God's end time people. Even though in the chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, we see two multitudes we see two multitudes. Now the first one is the 144,000, those who are from Israel, spiritual Israel. We explained the 12,000 of each tribe. It really means 12, a number of fullness, times 10, times 10, times 10. 10 means everybody. Everybody that God could save, the repetition of 10 times 10 times 10 is the emphasis that God will save all that he can save of all the characters that are in him. And so we we, we talked about the equation of the 12 gates of the new Jerusalem. Reportedly, ancient Jerusalem had 12 gates. At various times it did. It's interesting that there are 12 gates in the new Jerusalem and I wonder as we will see in the book of revelation when we continue it is uh, something that I wonder that that may not be a reference to characters and so the 144,000 gods end time people are recorded but also a great multitude John sees in vision all the redeemed and he sees he sees a number which no one could count of notice, all nations, stripes, people, and tongues. That's just all the people that lived, not all simultaneously at the same time, but throughout the ages of all nations, stripes, and peoples and tongues. Those who are saved. Revelation fifteen, though the hundred and forty-four thousand are not mentioned, they are described as this particular identity under the following circumstances they obtain the victory over the beast i want you to take note of this over his image that is the image of the beast over the mark that is the mark of the beast and the number of his name and of course as we continue In the book of Revelation, we will identify each and every one of those qualifications. What is important is that these are an end time people that make choices that are in harmony with God's will. And nothing can stay them of the course that they have taken. For they are sealed and faithful to God. Now, when he opened the seventh seal, chapter 8. There was silence in heaven. Silence in heaven. What do we mean by that? What does the Bible mean by that? For about half an hour, it's actually qualified. So, (coughs) pardon me, we we have a silence in heaven for half an hour. What are we to make of this? Now, we have in prophecies... We have what we call the year-day principle. In prophecies, we have, uh, we have uh, a day representing an actual literal year. Now, we implement that. It becomes a very interesting exercise. Let's do that. Let's look at it for a moment. One day for a year. We can agree on that. So when I look at one year, we're talking 360 days prophetically speaking so when we talk about one hour that then would mean 360 divided by 24. That would be one hour and that would represent 15 days. So half an hour half an hour is 15 days divided by two therefore seven and a half days. If we take this, as did all the reformers, by the way, the year-day principle in prophetic uh, symbolism, if we take this and work this out, there will be a silence in heaven for some seven and a half days. Fascinating. What does it mean? What does it mean? Now, how can I explain this and defend this, actually? Here. Here. This is what Jesus said. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, you find this in Matthew 25, He's telling them, the Jews that are condemning Him, wanting to kill Him, dying to execute Him, He's telling them. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and what? All the holy angels with him. Well, those angels in heaven are holy angels. Jesus says they are all coming with him at his second coming. Isn't that marvelous? In fact, in fact, when that power field of all the angels approaches this planet. The book of Revelation has graphic depictions about what will happen to the actual topography of this planet. Islands will disappear. Tremendous upheavals in the natural world as such as we have never seen. All the holy angels we him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Here's another statement. Here's another statement, which is very good. Again, made particularly towards the Jews there. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. Now that's an expression for God the Father. The right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. The clouds of heaven are not the atmospheric clouds of our atmospheric heaven. These are the millions upon millions of angels that will accompany him. So therefore the silence in heaven seems to synchronize well with what Jesus said about his second coming. Now, I saw, he said, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets, seven trumpets, seven that means from now till the end, seven trumpets. And then before we start with the trumpets, he has this to say. Another angel that is besides the seven, <clears throat> having a golden sensor. You understand what the sensor is. That was a golden, um, what shall I say, object that they used to put the burning coals and the incense in, as you will see. Another angel having the golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given, this angel was given, much incense. Incense was symbolic in the usage of the sanctuary services of the merits of Christ, who was represented, of course, by the sacrifices in the courtyard. The fire in the censer... And you would know this from uh, the Old Testament. The fire in the censer was always taken from the altar of sacrifice in the courtyard. That that represents the, the, the merits of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so the two would be then put together. The two would be put together that he should offer it Uh, with the prayers of the saints. So the prayers of all the saints with the merits of Christ in the center is the approach that then is being made to God, God's throne, the most holy place, as you will see. Upon the altar, the golden altar, which was before the throne. Now you recall that if you look at the sanctuary, you have the holy place and the most holy place. There was a curtain in between. The one that was torn when Jesus died there at three o'clock, roughly, that f- uh, fateful Friday afternoon. On the 14th of Nisan. And so, and so this was an, an, an approach to the living God. The prayers of all the saints. The merits of Christ. Which is a saving combination. And that is just illustrated here. And the smoke of the incense, the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, with the prayers of the saints, ascended before God, who hears those prayers. It's a beautiful language from the angel's hand. From the angel's hand. So, the next one is different. The next action taken by this angel is this. Then the angel took the censer. And he uh, put fire in it from the altar. That is the altar of sacrifice in the courtyard. And the merits of Christ are, are considered here. They can be a saving reality. Or they can also be an indictment. If we do not, if we do not accept what Jesus has done for us, we place ourselves outside salvation, which was provided for us by his sacrifice. And so he filled it with the fire, the sacrifice of Christ, and threw it to the earth. Now, what is missing? Threw it to the Earth, and there were noises, thunderings and lightnings, and, in fact, an earthquake. That's normally an expression of judgment in a physical sense. And so what is missing here is the incense. If there's no incense, there is no intercession. Which means intercession has ceased. When does intercession cease in the holy place, in the heavenly sanctuary? Well, when it's been concluded. We call that by another name, the close of probation. And so after that, it becomes a judgment. So there is uh, a pointing to the ultimate judgment. That comes first. And now we will return. Now we will return to the judgments, but the judgments that are being asked for under the fifth seal, when they cried with a loud voice, how long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. The seven trumpets will show God's actions of judgment on the enemies of God's people. And so, the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Before we do that, there's something that I need to do. As we will continue in this chapter, it talks about one-third, one-third, one-third on a number of occasions. And people have... Wondered what that one third might mean. The reality is that if we go to the Empire, the Roman Empire, in the days of when this was written, the book of, the book of Revelation, you could divide Rome in three portions. And there's a reason for that. First, there is Western Rome, which was Britain, Gaul, which today is France, Spain, Italy. Uh, Illyrium, which is really today's or used to be former Yugoslavia, that district, that area. This is Rome itself, Western Rome, the main power base for centuries, for centuries. There is another Rome that existed, and that was started, or what shall we say, uh, a doing of Constantine the Great, who in 330 AD moved head office from Western Rome, Rome itself, to a place which we call today Istanbul, which went by the name of Byzantium, which was obviously renamed by Constantine as Constantinopolis, meaning the city of Constantine. And that occurred in 330 AD, The reason being that he wanted to move his head office away from the threat of the barbarian tribes that were slowly but surely moving towards Rome. And we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. So it's clear from history that the part of Rome that was under threat was Western Rome, particularly. Particularly. In fact, it's interesting that Eastern Rome... Or we call that Byzantin, the Byzantine Empire, or Byzantine Rome, which means really Greek Rome, lasted actually almost a thousand. In fact, at least a thousand years longer. African Rome was an interesting story as well. It was um, another portion of the Roman Empire, and they had as a capital a place called Carthage. The Vandals that I have noted here actually took over for about 100, 150 years, that portion of the Roman Empire. And uh, we will come back to the Vandals. They were in Northern Africa. And I wonder if you could remember where they are located, because from there they were, oh, they were terrible pirates. Piracy was their way of life. And they threatened all the commercial, um, what shall we say, fleets that were obviously supplying Rome, and departing from Rome. And they uh, actually even invaded Rome there for only about two weeks. But we'll talk about that in a minute. In 534 AD, the Justinian armies from Eastern Rome, I know that is a bit confusing, but look, history explains. The armies of Justinian, the Eastern Roman emperor, destroyed the Vandals and they disappeared from the face of the earth. That is, as a tribe. The first angel sounded. The first angel sounded. We get the first trumpet. Let's look at it. And hail and fire followed. Hail and fire are forms of judgment. Mingled with blood... There was a lot of shedding of blood. You know, when you look at history, and whenever I look at these prophecies, and I look at all the stories, the human race has a history that is drenched in blood and violence, isn't it? And you know, it still is true today. But let's go to the first trumpet and identify them. ...mingled with blood. There was tremendous bloodshed. And they were thrown to the earth. It is a judgment allowed by heaven. And a third of the trees. Now there you have it. A third of the trees. Recall how I separated the three portions of Rome. Western Rome, Eastern Rome, African Rome. The first angel sounded. Hail and fire followed. Mingled with blood... And they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees, a third of the trees were burned up. And all green grass was burned up. A destruction I put to you to Western Rome. We know that from history. Western Rome suffered immensely. And I put it to you that the first four trumpets are directed against western rome let's have a look at it we're talking about alaric the goth the Goths were a people that came from the northeast and a variety of tribes came from that the hurali there were the physigos even the vandals were a part of that originally of that particular type of tribe but they split up And the ones that we're dealing with here are really actually became the physicos, which are really the progenitors of modern Spain. Well, they made it to Rome in 410 AD. And it was terrible what they did. The misbehavior, the cruelty, the murder and the rape was without any breaks. They couldn't maintain occupation of Rome, but they were the first to ransack Rome. And Alaric the Goth was responsible for that, and the cruelty was indescribable. Now we have a second one. The second angel sounded. So now we're going to have a look at this one. And something like a great mountain burning was fire, was thrown into the sea. Have a look at this. And a third of the sea became blood. There you have the one third again. And and then as it continues, a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. We're talking about a maritime conflict disaster And bloodshed, and that fits well with the actions of the Vandals, who were a maritime people, and much of the sea battles between Rome and the Vandals found place in this particular era, because under a man by the name of Genseric, the Vandals entered Rome in 455 A.D. And, and you, you, we don't have a picture of the man, Genseri, but he did make some coins with his image on it. He ruled from 428 to 468 AD. They were destroyed by the Justinian armies, dislodged from northern Africa, and completely, completely disappeared from history. Completely. For the two weeks that they were in Rome... You know, the the word vandals comes from this. They were so destructive, exceptionally destructive. Then the third angel sounded. Now we have the third. And a great star fell from heaven. A great star, that could be an identity, fell from heaven. Like a burning torch. And it fell on the third of the rivers. And note this, on the springs of waters, which means which means on the origins of the river systems, which of course is, are the mountains. And when we put it in context, the name of the star is Wormwood. Wormwood is a very bitter herb. A name stands for character. And so a third of the waters became bitter, very bitter, Wormwood. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter there is perhaps only one explanation of that era when one of the judgments fell on western rome and this was the one that was represented by the invading huns as they came from the northeast and were devastating in their destruction though they didn't enter rome they were a tremendous plague to the romans in the italian alps the northern river systems where they were marauding uh, all the areas there unstoppable uncontrollable under the leadership under the leadership of course of attila the hun who died in 453 ad which is interesting when he died Suddenly, the Huns, after a few hundred years of do- absolute dominance, just disappeared from the scene. And they just uh, were not an entity anymore to reckon with. Once their leader, actually Attila, who really took them to the zeniths of their existence, actually died in 453. And almost immediately, They just disappeared from history. Amazing, isn't it? Now, the fourth angel. The fourth angel. Now, this is interesting. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, there you have it again, a third, Western Rome, of the sun was struck, a third of the moon was struck, a third of the stars were struck. A a third of them were darkened. In fact, a third of the day didn't shine and likewise the night. What are we to make of this? It's interesting. One-third of the sun, one-third of the moon, one third of the stars. Western Rome. Let's talk about the Emperor, the Western Roman Emperor. The last emperor of western rome romulus augustus this little picture here shows a young man kneeling in front of the man seated on the on a some sort of a throne if you like well this was uh, Odeker of the heruli who invaded rome took actually the the emperor prisoner who surrendered to him and uh, we talk about one third of the moon. Maybe we could reflect this on the consuls. Uh, one third of the stars. You could talk about the Senate and all the senators. What happened is he abolished the emperorship. He pronounced himself king. This is Odegaard of the Heruli. He pronounced himself king. And within 70 years the consuls and the senate were all dislodged because it wasn't workable for them to do any governance at all rome had really come to an end and the year is 476 ad by all historiography recognized as the end of rome as we know it the most powerful component of the roman empire western rome had come to a tragic end. Conquered by the barbarians. And so, Imperial Rome, the Rome of the Caesars, ruling for some 600, to the best of our knowledge, 44 years, 644 years of dominance, had come to an end. And that reminds me of the book of Daniel that was written 700 years before, there was a prophecy there, connected to a dream by the emperor Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, had this dream, and it was really the the, the history of this earth over a period of some two and a half thousand years. And it really takes us again to the end time as well. One of the portions of that prediction, the recognition of that great statue, you might know the story, was the iron legs that represented Rome, the legs of iron. And then it goes over into the feet partly of iron, and partly of clay. Now, you and I know that clay and iron don't particularly mix. And so it's interesting when you look at the predictions of the book of Daniel, Babylon, it started, of course, that's in the days of, of Daniel the prophet, I told you it's at least 700 before years before the Book of Revelation was actually written. You had Mede, Persia that uh, that succeeded. We had Greece that succeeded under Alexander the Great. Then we have Imperial Rome that, as I said, for some 640 plus years. But after 476 A.D., Daniel already predicted there would be a division and it would never unite again. And isn't it interesting? that the book of Revelation sticks to the same realities. In Daniel chapter 7, you have this. And i just like to mention this, because prophecy is the absolute proof of inspiration. Only a God who is in control knows the end from the beginning. In, In Daniel chapter 7, around about 550 BC, the first year of Belshazzar, I saw my vision by night and behold, have a look at this, the four winds of heaven, there you have it again, the winds of strife, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea all around the. The Mediterranean, which was referred to as the Great Sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, and the, you have a lion there that has wings. You have a you have a bear, uh, and you have a, a, a leopard with four heads. Now, the bear, of course, means Persia. The lion, of course, is Babylon. the 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 leopard, of course, is Alexander the Great. And then you have this nondescript beast. Actually, it's referred to as a dragon with with terrible iron teeth. are watched then because, he said, of the sound of the pompous word which the little horn, it was a little horn, was speaking. He sees the development of that beast, that last beast, that really represents Rome. And he sees sees a little horn power. The little horn power was identified by all the reformers as papal Rome, the bishop of Rome. But that's not the one that I wanted to draw your attention to. He watched till the beast was slain. What beast? Well, the beast from which the ten horns and the little one came up. Rome. Pagan Rome. He watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. You know, this is interesting. When you look at the next verse. As for the rest of the beast, the lion... The bear, the leopard, they had their dominion taken away for their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Now, this fascinates me. So the lion, the Babylonians would continue, but they lost their dominion. Of course, that's today's Iraq. And then you have then you have, uh, the a Persian bear, haven't you? That is, they're still there in Iran. Lost their dominion, true. And then there are the Grecians under Alexander the Great. Marvelous, of course, he lost his dominion. They lost their dominion too, but they're still there. But you know, the interesting thing is this. If you go to Rome and you're looking for the Romans, you won't find them. The people that are living in Rome today are Lombards they're really a germanic people they're not the romans after some 640 plus years of dominating of dominating the then known world they just disappeared they disappeared from the history altogether and what is so remarkable it was around about 550 bc When that prophet made that prediction, hundreds of years before there was a dominance by Rome, he predicted that they would disappear. And you know, the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel go hand in hand. Beautiful, beautiful. The Byzantine Rome lasted for quite a while. Constantinople survived for a long time. In fact, it started in 330 AD when, when the Emperor Constantine the Great moved in fact to what we know today as Istanbul, away from the threat of the impending invasions of the barbarian tribes, till the 16th of May. 1453, when Constantinople finally fell to the Ottoman. And we'll talk about it because the book of Revelation talks about that. It is amazing. Next week, next week, we have an amazing story for you. The first four trumpets were judgment on pagan Rome. True. And then, then note what he says. Note what he says. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, "Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth! Why is he saying that? Why is he saying that? Because of the remaining blast of the trumpets of the three angels, the three last one. This world has more to endure. There are more punishments on those who have opposed." God's people, and therefore God himself. And so we're going to look next week. And that next week, the topic really will be the rise of Islam, the rising power of Islam. Why do we do that? People say sometimes, why doesn't the Bible mention anything about Islam, the Muslims, the Muslim world? Well, actually, I'll put it to you, the Bible does. You and I, we're going to look at the fifth and the sixth trumpets, and we'll find a perfect description, chronologically beautifully fitted in the history of this earth, of the rise of Islam, its conduct, and its zest for conquest. And I hope you will, you will join me, because it has a purpose the purpose of looking at the history as it was predicted. And we know it was predicted. We know it was written in 95 AD. We know it was. And we're looking down the ages with history that we are familiar with, history that has been recorded, history that is available to us. And we see the evidence after evidence after evidence of the foreknowledge of God. We gotta talk about Islam. There's some interesting aspects to that. And you're invited to join again. Please do so. If you have any questions in the meantime, uh, go to our website waitaraadvent at gmail.com. You can put in your questions. But next week is one you need not, you mustn't and shouldn't miss, because it is important. And so I hope that we will see you then again. Can I invite you just to bow your heads, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we uh, once again could study your word, that we can have the confidence of the full inspiration of everything that is written. Lord, we thank you for the evidence, your goodness, your kindness. And we pray, Lord, for well-being, for safety. Keep us well, keep us safe. And we pray that we, you'll bring us together for further, further study of your word into the wonderful book of Revelation. So bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Revelation Ancient Prophecy with Pastor Byron Neustraden, brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio. For more information on this series, visit waitarachurch.org.au.
1: sword and shield, who boldly braved the world's cold frown and fought unyielding on the field to win an everlasting crown. Though worn with toil, oppressed by foes, no murmur from his heart.
2: Mountain View Academy sang I Saw One Weary and coming up next Clearly hymns will sing The Time
1: The time is almost coming When all our eyes shall see The mysteries of God And life's reality The time is almost coming and all the world
2: Friends, so lovely to be with you today. And my name is William Ackland and I would like to make a few observations about summer. Warming winds wafted through fruiting trees quite early this morning. It will be hot today, I thought. A little rain has fallen recently, but not sufficient to counter the relentless sun sucking up every drop of moisture as the water table sinks lower and lower. Light summer wear has been worn for weeks and it is still only mid-December. So while there are some negatives in this season of the year, there are many pluses. Vegetables planted in the home garden start to mature. Trips to the beach are nearly a happy weekly interlude, if not too far away. And long daylight hours entice one to pack a lot more into a 24-hour day. It is a great concern here in this land of Australia in some states more so than others, that raging fires break out and cause such devastation when tinder-dry undergrowth is ignited by dry electrical storms, or worse still, are purposely lit. Vast areas of bush, farmland and property are destroyed, and wildlife, livestock and human lives are snuffed out in the roaring flames. How grateful we are for the firefighters who put their own lives in danger to bring the fires under control, which sometimes affects thousands of their countrymen. Fortunately, most summers are not like that, and instead of fighting fires, many people are out and about, enjoying warm weather sports and family activities. What is nicer than for a family to pack up their picnic gear and tasty treats and then drive to the park or the seaside to enjoy fun and frolic for many hours? Parents marvel at how much energy their children have as they run here and there in random patterns, chasing a ball or each other. Summer is when salad is a common food selection and cool drinks are consumed by the litre. Hiking into the hills is a favourite thing to do too, for as the altitude increases, the temperature decreases and people get the exercise we all need. So if it is not hiking, then fishing and boating are great favourites with many people. One has only to see the thousands of boats and yachts, of all sizes at seaside towns and resorts, to realise that enjoying a spin on the water is so popular in summer, and in spring and autumn too. There is more to summer, of course, than what the warm sunny weather entices us to do. During these months, the sun is just that much closer to our hemisphere than during winter. The tilt of the Earth, known by astronomers as the obliquity of the ecliptic, combines to link two opposite seasons and the other two are halfway in between. So there is more sun in summer and less sun in winter, and each has its pluses and minuses. People of a pessimistic nature tend to look at the world through negative glasses, whereas optimistic, cheerful people are glad to enjoy the positive things that each day and each season brings. It is not only humans in their busyness who bring in the harvest to ensure survival during the winter, but birds and animals are also busy eating, gathering and storing in summer to ensure their survival in winter. Hibernating bears nearly double their weight while they can so they can survive sleeping the whole winter through. Squirrels are great acorn gatherers hiding these in their storehouses to be dug up later. Now, how can they remember where their food is stored? Animals in Australia are not so affected as their far northern hemisphere cousins are, as here the weather is not so extreme. The Bible too speaks of the seasons of the year. In Matthew 24, verses 32 and 33, it says, Listen to what I say about fig trees. When the branches show signs of new growth and the tree is covered with leaves, you know that summer is almost here. So you will know that when you see the signs I've just told you, you will know the coming of the Son of Man is very near. So as one season moves to the next in a seemingly unending cycle through the years, there is something for everyone to enjoy, no matter which season is with us. It can be argued that summer is more appreciated by people in Australia, given that the warmer weather is so ideal for enjoying sports and other activities in the great outdoors. Winter too offers time in long evenings to write, read and study, and to follow one's hobbies that vary from person to person. All in all, the likes and dislikes that people have for the four seasons of the year tend to balance out, we could say, so that there is a variety and opportunity for us all to enjoy life instead of merely existing. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.